All right, this morning we are continuing our study in the book of Hebrews. So go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to begin with verse 11 and read through chapter 6, verse 12. Hebrews 5, starting with verse 11. As you get there, go ahead and stand. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust... So as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And Jesus, you describe it as seed that is cast on soil. And so we pray, Father, that you would help us to have hearts that are the good soil this morning to receive the seed of the word and that it would bear fruit in us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. The desire to grow comes naturally to us. From our birth, from infant to toddler and walking to beyond, we grow. When a child you notice is about to crawl, they are determined to grow in this act of crawling. In fact, uh, if your children are like my children, they may become frustrated even as those last days are coming when they're wanting to crawl and they're moving back and forth and shaking and all those cute things that they do, they're wanting to grow in this and they're becoming frustrated that it's not happening. And then even after they learn to crawl, there's this few months and then they begin to want to walk and those steps towards 
maturity are taking place, but it's this natural thing that's happening. We grow. Things that are alive grow. And it doesn't end at walking. We grow throughout our lives. I have a place off of the kitchen where we mark height and growth. And one section of that area has many more marks than the rest of the sections because I have a 14-year-old who desires to grow. He longs to grow, and so he checks often, and he does as much as possible to cultivate that growth. He wants to grow. We all want to grow. Sadly, it's not always easy to see those same longings as it relates to spirituality. In the church, it seems like some are content to remain as infants in the faith throughout their lives. And that's what the writer is addressing here. Now, last week, if you were here, we're taking this large, heavy section in two weeks. And so last week, we took chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, we started there. That's the, the text that many come to and they struggle with, and it's deep and it's hard. And we looked there first so that now we can take these bookends and see how that practically works out for those of us who are in Christ. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, addresses those who walked away from the gospel. Today, we're going to look at what our response ought to be to those circumstances, but even more than that, to the gospel itself. How ought we to respond? What ought we to look like and be doing? Look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9. The writer of Hebrews says this, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things things that belong to salvation. We feel sure of better things. This is a hopeful call in the midst of really hard truth, and I hope that you're seeing over this two-week series through this section, this is a hopeful text. It is easy for us to come to it and get fixated on chapter 6, 1 through 8, and, and, and for many people, they begin to panic. They begin to fear and think, is this me? Could this possibly be me? But, but the gist of this text is hope. It is hope for those who are in Christ. We feel sure of better things. What are those things? Things that belong to salvation, which means two things for us. The people and the things he's just described do not and did not belong to salvation. There's a contrast he's making there. For us, for you, he's saying, we feel sure of better things. There's a contrast there. And secondly, there's a difference between immature believers who belong to salvation and those who walk away or deny the gospel. Now, we don't, we don't hear that part and say, okay, well, there's a difference Immature believers are still saved. And then relax. That's not the point of the text. He's urging the, the recipients of this text. The writer's making it clear we, we ought not settle. 
And so as we work through the text this morning, I want to look at ways we can fight the fear of falling. Though I believe that Hebrews 5 and 6 assure us that if we are in Christ, we do not need fear falling away. The reality is that many do. Many struggle with a fear of this text or a fear of falling away from Christ. So how can we fight that fear? What's the hope the writer of Hebrews has for us here? And as we look at each of these, we're going to let Hebrews 6.11 guide us through each. It says this, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Earnestness. As we work through these things, the hope is that we pursue each with an earnestness. And so we're going to look at two main things with some specific outworkings for each. Two simple things that hopefully you can remember and then looking at the outworkings. First is this. We're called to grow up. As followers of Christ, we are called to grow up. And secondly, we are called to grow out. So let's look at those. First, we're called to grow up, verses 11 through 13 of chapter 5. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. The writer is urging those who are reading this, even calling out the readers because they ought to have grown. And they ought to be growing, but they're not. In fact, he uses the, the term of them that they've become dull of hearing. The expectation is that they would have grown in their knowledge and the handling of the Word of God. He says in verse 11, about this. Now, I want to remind you that we are blessed. We have a Bible that is organized for us in a way that is helpful for us in our reading. We have chapters, and we have verses marked for us, and we have uh, even these headings over different sections that kind of help us and steer us into what the writer is talking about. But we need to remember those were not originally there. They're helpful for us. I can say to you, turn to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, and you're able to flip, and there's a big number 5, and down below it there's a, a, a little number 11, so I know this is where I'm going to start. But those are not originally a part of the text. And we have to remember, as the writer of Hebrews gave this, this was a letter this is one letter. And so it's not intended to have sections taken out out of context. It's all a letter to be read that way. And so when he says about this, or when we come to texts that say therefore, that's why our mind should say about what? Or what is the therefore, therefore? There's a point that he's making here that's, that's related to something he's already said. And so when he starts about this, about what? 
It's what he's just been writing. And specifically, it's about Melchizedek. I'm going to be honest. That's hard. Melchizedek is hard stuff. I remember as a pastor the first sermon, real sermon, that I heard on Melchizedek. And it was hard. And I was sitting there like, hmm, that is tough stuff. That is solid food. It's not light reading. There's deep and meaty things about Melchizedek that people have differing opinions on. And so what he is saying here is you ought to be able to understand really hard and meaty stuff to these Hebrews. But you can't because you become dull of hearing. That expression, dull of hearing, means sluggish or lethargic. And so their problem was not in some intellectual deficiency. Rather, they had become spiritually lazy. And that's important. Listen, there are people here this morning who have a greater capacity for knowledge than I do. And maybe you do. Their ceiling is high. You hear them articulate deep theological truths, and you're like, man, that is a blessing. They are a blessing to me. They can memorize and remember things easily. They understand deep doctrinal truths. But there shouldn't be anyone who tries harder than me or tries harder than you. That's the point here. And the growth here that that is being referred to is not like a staircase in the sense that we get higher up to look down on those who have less knowledge. It's that we grow closer to Christ our Savior. It wasn't that these people were determined not to grow. It's that they weren't determined to grow. They were lazy. That is what the writer is addressing here. They weren't trying. He says, by this time you ought to be teachers. He's evaluating these people who have been following Christ over the years saying you ought to be growing in your knowledge of Christ through His Word. There ought to be a consistent pattern of growth. But he says, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. He's calling them to wake up, to do something. We don't want to be lazy with the Word of God. It is a gift entrusted, entrusted to us. Too many have taken the gospel message as this get-out-of-hell-free pass. That's not how Jesus explains salvation. You read through the gospels, it is kingdom living. 
It is embracing who he is. It's not just accepting a message. It's treasuring the one and only one who is able to save us. And that treasuring moves us to desire and to know him more and more and more. Then the writer uses this picture of milk versus solid food. Verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, the, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. He's given this picture of their immaturity in the faith. They're like infants, but they ought to be mature adults. They're still drinking from a bottle when they should be eating from a plate. He says they're unskilled in the word of righteousness. Remember in chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, it says of those who fell away, they had tasted the goodness of the word of God. But they only tasted it. They didn't embrace it. There is a difference in taking a bite of something and truly savoring it. And the call here is don't, don't, don't just taste it and spit it out. Rather, when you come to the Word as those who trust in the Lord, study it and savor it and swallow it. Embrace it. You read Psalm 119. And you see this picture of the psalmist who delights in the Word of the Lord. Hides it in his heart. And it's, it's a a good reminder. When you, when you consider Psalm 119 or you consider uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 where Paul is talking about the Word of God and how it is beneficial to us, they didn't have the New Testament. Paul's writing that. David is talking about the law. There's some of us who, who have good intentions of starting the Read the Bible Through program, and it's like, man, we are we're going this year. We're going to make it. And then you get to Leviticus, and you're like, man, Lord, for real? I mean, it doesn't say in the Bible. I've got to read the Bible through in a year. And I think Leviticus is the proof of that. And we're like, man, like it's a stop sign when we get there or something. And David is like, this is, this is what I live because of. And what's the goal? As we are called to grow up, what is the goal for us? Ephesians chapter 4, such a wonderful picture of that. Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 11. Paul writes this, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until... We all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. Now, what is that? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal. That we would be growing up into mature manhood, which is the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Brothers and sisters, no matter where you are in biblical knowledge, you haven't reached 
the goal. You haven't grown up into the fullness of Christ. And let me encourage you here, if you're growing up in knowledge and down in humility, you still need to mature. We are called to be humble. This gift of the Word is meant to humble us, not make us proud and arrogant. And so first, we see that we are called to grow up, to mature. And secondly, we're called to grow out. There's three ways that our faith should be outwardly visible, as we see here in Hebrews. In 5.14, he says, Have your powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. In chapter 6, verse 10, he says, Love and serve the saints. And in chapter 12, he tells us to imitate the faithful. And so let's consider those three things. First, chapter 5, verse 14, having your powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You consider infants. An infant, as wonderful as it is, created in the image of of God cannot distinguish good from evil. However, the mature, those who understand the teaching, spiritually teaching, about righteousness ought to be able to make discerning judgment on the continual moral issues that arise in our life. How? He says here, by constant practice. This is the first practical step that we see here. Once we embrace the Word, once we study it and savor it and swallow it, then we ought to practice what we have learned. We, we do. We act. James says, don't just be hearers only and so deceive yourselves but be doers of the Word. His point is, if you're, just, if you're just taking in the Word and it's not doing anything and you're not acting on it, you're lying to yourself. You're fooling yourself. You don't believe the things that you're memorizing. You don't believe the things that you're reading if you're not acting on it. Practice, the writer of Hebrews says. This is a practical step that we see here. Practice those things that you partake of. Practice the things that you read. That expression where it goes in one ear and out the other, that's something that parents say of their children. The writer of Hebrews here is, don't be like that. Practice those things. Practice discernment. Secondly, love. Verse 10 of chapter 6, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. It's one thing to be known as someone who knows God's word. And it is quite another to be known as someone who truly loves. You consider 1 Corinthians 13. Where Paul says three times, if you don't have love, you're just a noise. 
It's just a banging gong. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter how much I can articulate to you from the Word of God. If I don't love well, what Paul is saying is it's just like me standing up here with symbols and trying to talk over them. It's just noise. Or he says in another place in the same text, it's you're nothing. You're nothing. If we don't love well, we're missing the point. And so I would ask you, do you love well? Are you known that way? As one who loves the saints and serves the saints. And let me, let me say here, one of the ways that we love the saints well is to treat those who really are infants spiritually as infants. Don't, don't get confused when, when the writer here is saying that you ought to have matured, you ought to be teachers. He's not talking about those who really are infants in the faith. They've just, they've just come to know Christ. They've only been following Him for a short time. He's not talking about those people because they really are infants. If I went into the nursery and took one of the babies, which, let's be honest, would not surprise many people. But if I took one of them and started to shove steak into the baby's mouth and then became frustrated that not only is this infant not eating this steak that I am so graciously giving to this baby, but it's even starting to choke on the steak. People who observe that wouldn't say, that's a really good piece of steak. What's wrong with that baby? It's a dumb baby. Like, they wouldn't say that. You would rightly observe, that's weird. That man is ignorant and unloving and cruel and unwise. He is a fool and is harmful to that child. That's what you would observe. But there are times, and let me just say, some of you in here identify yourselves as being reformed in theology. Let me say, I want to say this most of all to us. Because it is often, rightly at times, said that we are not loving. And so someone comes to Christ, an infant, and you want to shove meat into their mouths. That's not helpful. That's great. That's great. You love Jesus? Well, sit down. Buckle up. Do you know this? How about this? That's not loving. That's unkind. That's not even considerate. And there are some, like young toddlers, who spiritually, they're, they're children who need their meat cut up into smaller pieces. Love 
recognizes those things. Love loves the person, not how much I know. These Christians are, are commended for their love of the saints and their service of the saints. God will not overlook that, the writer is saying. Do you love well? Are you serving well? Do you care about those who are in Christ? And lastly, verse 12, imitate the mature. As you seek to grow out, imitate the mature. He says, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, we're going to get to Hebrews 11 eventually. There's a wonderful list of those people there, but those around you as well. Are, those you have, are there those who you have identified as men or women of faith, sincere faith and maturity, and you're setting your eyes on them saying, I want to follow in your footsteps as you follow Christ. That's a humble and wise thing to do. Paul says to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 4.16, I urge you, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Later in chapter 11, verse 1, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for Christ. We're not setting the person up on a pedestal. We're recognizing this person loves, adores Jesus, and they are following him well. And so I want to follow them. I want to learn and grow in their footsteps. Are you looking to earthly examples of maturity and faith to imitate and follow? The writer here calls us, practice discernment and love the saints and imitate the mature. Let me encourage you, the battle against the fear of falling is fought by growing in the Word and living out the Word. Are you seeking Him, Christ, and seeking to live for Him? Or do you find that your ears are growing dull, that you have, you've become or you're becoming lazy spiritually? The writer here is urging us, don't, don't let that happen. Grow up, grow up in His Word, grow up in your love for Him, and then grow out as you display those things that you love in Him. We're going to go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper this morning. As followers of Christ, we are often tempted to slack off. We're all tempted in that way. We're all tempted to become lazy. We're all tempted to slack off. Not just in doctrine and maturity, but in our practices. That's what Paul's warning against in 1 Corinthians 11 as it pertains to the Lord's Supper. What was once a worshipful proclamation of faith and gospel had become self-centered. And Paul says in that text that as you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Paul encourages them there to reconsider what they're doing and 
how they're doing it. And so as we prepare, let's partake of the bread and the cup as those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, as those who long to grow and who seek growth, and as those who not only proclaim the Lord's death, which Paul tells us, as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, but that we would partake not only as those who proclaim the Lord's death, but who live in its light. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. You are good, and what you do is good, and your word is truth, Lord. And we are broken people. We are needy people. There is not one of us in this room that is not desperate for your grace. We are sinners. And our only hope is the righteousness of Christ and the work of Christ. And we confess that. Lord, it is not our doing that saves us. It is the work of your Son. And we don't want to get that wrong, Lord. We want to respond to it. We want to recognize the grace that you have lavished on us. And we want to respond by treasuring your word, by living it out so that others would see how good you are. And so we pray for your help. And even as we prepare our hearts to take the bread and the cup, Lord, search us and even grow us in this. What a blessing that you've given us a means to remember your body broken and your blood shed and in, as a body of believers, as a community proclaim together to one another and to those who are outside of the faith that you died and you are coming again and that our hope is in that. Lord, thank you for that gift and I pray that you would bless in Christ's name. Amen.